back, Habibi. Welcome to Rekt, the podcast where we explore what happened when California legalized adult use marijuana in 2018. I'm Christopher Trout, the creative director of The Grass Agency, and joining me today, as always, are my co-founder, Rena Caria. Yo, Rena. Hello. And Brandy Moody, an independent wine, weed, and food marketing consultant what's Hi. up good i'm good good I'm great happy podcast day yeah happy sunday to all of you even so, if it's not sunday when you're listening to it so today we're taking an imaginary trip up to the emerald triangle i say imaginary because we never quite got there um there were some wildfires raging between my home in richmond and our destination of mendocino our first interviewee was without power at his big grow up in Mendocino. So we uh, just called it in. For those of you who don't know, the Emerald Triangle is like the mothership of the American weed industry. It's made up of three counties, Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity County. And it covers about 10,000 square miles of mountainous terrain in Northern California. And this region produces roughly 60% of the entire country's weed. You may have heard of the Emerald Triangle because of a Netflix documentary that came out a couple of years ago called Murder Mountain. Because there is so much weed being grown up there and because it only became legal two years ago, there's also a decent amount of crime up there, uh, mostly people thieving and robbing uh, the growers up there, taking their cash because it's a cash business, or their weed because people can steal it and sell it on the illicit market for thousands of dollars. The Emerald Triangle has a sort of deep, rich history that dates back to the 60s and 70s uh, when hippies who were kind of like roaming around California decided that they were going to go quote unquote back to the earth. So they left the cities to create communes. Uh, and once they got up to the Emerald triangle, they realized it was kind of perfect, right? That the, the trees and the mountains kind of created this perfect canopy to disguise what they were doing. And they were able to grow weed up there in what turned out to be amazing conditions. And if you've ever smoked weed from the Emerald Triangle, you know that that's some good shit. Oh, show. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Dang shit. Well, they went up there also because the Vietnam War and being disillusioned and all that shit. Nixon was coming down hard. The 80s, you start to see things kind of pick up and the, the grows get a little bit larger. Uh, and then in the 90s, when medical marijuana became relatively legal you see sort of an explosion, a boom in business up there. You start to see a lot of people coming in from outside and, and growing up there, and it really changes the face of the communities up there, the culture in, in Humboldt and Mendocino and Trinity County. And what you end up with is sort of the makings of Murder Mountain, right? People are toting guns and wearing masks and doing all sorts of crazy ne'er-do-well shit up there. Uh, and you end up with this very, very different view of 
what that part of the country looks like, right? Well, I, I think what's really important to point out, though, it is it is probably one of the most beautiful parts of the state of California. It's stunningly gorgeous. Yeah. And that's, I think, another reason why a lot of people chose to live there and move up there. It's beautiful. There's beautiful rivers. And I sound like a tourism guide now, but it is a really beautiful part of the country. And it's a lot of these growers, you know, for as much of the crime and kind of ne'er-do-well activity there is, there are still a lot of people that are stewards of the land and are really kind of living one with the area to not only grow and proliferate their marijuana crops, but also just to enjoy that kind of lifestyle. Right. It's not all as seen on TV. Right. And I feel like Murder Mountain did a little disservice to it. Um, I feel like it, it really did paint like a dark picture. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not that dark there, you know, when you go. But there is definitely an underlying kind of guarded underbelly there, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And for good reason, right? Mm-hmm. So... We'll get deeper into what's actually happened in uh, the Emerald Triangle since legalization. But instead of there being this big boom and this big shift over to, to legal grows, really the opposite has happened. The state, once again, has set up a regulatory framework that's really complicated, has then overtaxed growers. And what we see is an industry in disrepair. And really the reason why I wanted to make this particular episode is because of a quote from our first episode, from one of my first interviews for Wrecked. I interviewed Steve D'Angelo, the founder of Harborside, one of the biggest dispensaries in California. And this quote really stood out to me. Go to some places in the Emerald Triangle and half of the storefronts are shuttered because the state has set up uh, such a cumbersome, challenging, expensive system of licensing that the only people that can really navigate it effectively are people who can hire an army of lawyers and lobbyists uh, to get it done and then can buy all of the equipment and all of the security and all of the other stuff that's required to exist in the compliant system. So that's incredibly painful uh, to me because I feel responsible. I feel responsible. Based on that quote, I wanted to see it for myself. Unfortunately, like I said earlier, the fires got in the way of us actually getting up there. But I reached out to a couple of people. One of them is uh, a longtime acquaintance or and or friend. You want to say friend? He's my friend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and all-around good guy, Mike Strupp. I am a cultivator, an indoor cultivator in the industry of uh, with Woodwide Farms. Uh, we've been growing indoors for about 14 years now. Mike is a bit of an anomaly as a grower in the Emerald Triangle in that he actually grows indoors. On the other side of the industry in the Emerald Triangle, we're starting to see this shift towards that area as a tourist attraction. So you have this great history, you have this beautiful environment, and you have some people really banking on this becoming like the Napa or Sonoma of weed. Chris Vardian. Uh, I am the president of the NorCal Tour Company. We do the Mendocino Experience Cannabis Tours. One of the things that I wanted to get at in this episode is, is what the early days of the Emerald Triangle really looked like. And I think that it's interesting to think of how 
the sort of political climate at the time drove that area to become sort of the spot for the weed industry. So I started kind of messing around when I was 15 years old, you know, just having a couple plants around the side of the property. When I was in high school, we were doing some gorilla growing in the woods, and it was really just growing up around it. And then when I left uh, Mendocino in 99, we went down to San Luis Obispo to go to school at Cal Poly. Um, everyone was always looking for weed, and I seemed to always know people that had weed back home. So I was just kind of a always was known as uh, Mendo Mike or Stoner Mike. And then once I graduated, I came back to Mendocino in 05, and I had the opportunity to take over an indoor grow. I'm lucky that everyone's kind of had a green thumb and plants like me and kind of my passion. So it's one of those things that. If you're sitting there with them all the time, you're gonna they're gonna do well. They definitely respond well to the human touch. He'd been growing basically on the illicit market for a while, and then it was that kind of thing where, well, we now we have kids, now it is legal, now it's an option for us to make a living off of it. So mm-hmm. let's do this. You know, we want to stay in Mendocino. The town of Mendocino is gorgeous. Little fun fact: that's where. The Murder, She Wrote houses. That's where uh, Angela Lansbury. That's where she sat down and she wrote. And that's where Brandy got married. Yeah, that's where I got married. You got married at the Murder, She Wrote house? I wish. No, I got married on a cliff in Mendocino. Failed opportunity. Yeah. Shout out to (laughs) Elope with Vanna. To go way back, that documentary that you recommended. A River's Last Chance. A River's Last Chance. It talked about Humboldt County and that whole area and put it in the perspective of you know california being the place where fortunes are made and there's a rush so before there was the cannabis growers there was commercial fishermen with Mm -hmm. salmon there was logging at one point the salmon population declined by 99 percent the forest was completely deforested and really, it was these stewards of the land that were there building things back up. It's a really rich area for environmental study. I really highly recommend the documentary because um, they did a really good job in making all of that come back. You know, the salmon repopulating naturally and then also working to get the forest back up. Um, and they did a great job with that. Mm-hmm. And then came marijuana, which yeah. actually a lot of the... They call them like trespass grows or these gorilla grows. Um, we're siphoning water from these creeks and streams and really compromising the environment. You kind of, at least in my mind, when I think of the the Emerald Triangle, I think of this very natural sort of way of living. It's very off the grid and these people are, are really subsisting off the earth. And it seems very like, what's the word? Bucolic? Idyllic. Sure. Sure. (laughs) So you have this very, you have this like uh, sort of back to the earth movement. The the hippies come in. They're at odds with the the lumber industry and with the other industries that exist there. And eventually, as those industries start to sort of diminish, the weed industry really builds up, right? And that becomes a central part of the culture up there. And I really like... If you know somebody from Northern California, their parents grow weed, <laughs> right? It's like, it is a, uh, it's an archetype almost in California. 
it didn't really occur to me that crime was so high up there until Murder Mountain came out. And I, I understand that Murder Mountain is not the end all be all of what that area is like, but it was really kind of crazy, like yeah. unexpected. Well, my sister has been looking for a home to buy and it's and she'd like to live somewhere rural. But, you know, you she was saying you almost have to put a sign on your house that says, like, we don't have weed or cash here, because what a lot of people do is fly drones to basically case grows mm-hmm. and then they go and rob them. You know, you go to a town like Garberville and there are businesses shuttered and there are just stray immigrants wandering the streets because a lot of people have been working in this industry, what, for 30 plus years? They don't know the first thing about filling out bureaucratic paperwork. So mm-hmm. why would they want to transition over to the legal market? There are so many illicit grows that even if they were to all go legal, the way that the state is set up, there's not enough people to smoke that weed. There's not enough people in the state of California to consume that cannabis. So mm-hmm. it, we're also in a weird pickle there. So normally I like a weird pickle. (laughs) (laughs) I love a Kool-Aid pickle. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Again, it's something like 30,000 plus grows up there and maybe 10% are actually licensed grows, right? Licensed by the state of California operating legally. Um, And there are just so many reasons why. Part of it being, yeah, what you said, right? Like these people have operated outside the margins of this thing. And I thought it was really interesting uh, when Mike said that, like, it's hard enough starting a small business. Yeah. If you haven't had a small business before, then just the small business part of it is a shocker. And then, you know, running a cannabis is in this being the kids and you're running a cannabis permit it's like it's like trying to apply to run a nuclear power plant with the amount of regulations that there are. It's really overwhelming. There's just so much stuff that has to happen. If you want to grow, if you want to grow pumpkins or farm chickens, you don't have to ask Fish and Wildlife for anything. You don't have to tell them your water source. You can pump as much water as you want. You can do anything basically. But as soon as you put cannabis on it, now everyone wants a piece, and everyone wants to regulate you, and everyone wants to make sure that you're doing everything correct. Try to retroactively start a, a small business based off of your already difficult ag business right like they didn't have to worry about taxes they didn't have to worry about hr issues and osha and all this other stuff um and now they have to go back and and figure it out or let's say you do have all those resources but if you look at how much you're gonna make on the legal market versus the illicit market it's like no brainer hands down and like what what would stop you if you were already like 40 years in doing this illicitly? I mean, what's the difference now? Like, (laughs) well, yeah, I read somewhere that you can make $3,000 on a pound Mm -hmm. of California weed from the Emerald triangle in New York. Yeah. So fuck it. They don't need the California market in order. What they get for a pound of weed here is like $300. In theory, we're doing really well, is how I like to put it. There's just such a lag, you know. We grow from from the time we take a, we cut a plant, it, it's four months until we harvest. And then it takes a couple of weeks to trim it, and then it takes a week to trim. And then it's got to go to distribution, and then it's got to get tested. 
and then it's got to get packaged and then it's going to make it through the state and then once it starts getting sold then they can start coming back to us if it takes that long for the weed to get into the store and for him to make money off of it like are we getting compromised goods like is our shit just dried out really like are we getting the weed as good as we used to get it nope no right i mean Mm -mm. all my shit's dry it's totally dry even if it's good shit it's dry Mm. (laughs) you're not buying that shit i'm not buying that stuff yeah i mean i'm (laughs) sorry i mean i do i know a lot of people that are are you know you're legally allowed to have six plants and i know a lot of people that that do yeah and it's a little bit more of a artisan product for me in that respect but it's funny because it's supposed to be we're supposed to be getting like the like if we're gonna make these wine comparisons Mm -hmm. right we're supposed to be getting the best weed ever and it's like literally like three hours from here yeah and yet we're getting worse weed potentially than we've ever had i mean not ever right we we used to smoke weed in texas yeah (laughs) that was bad (laughs) when you say it's legal it's weird to think like it's not actually legal. It's hella regulated mm-hmm. and it's regulated in a way that no other industry is. And you're going to have this police action. Like, have you ever seen somebody's like backyard garden getting busted up because they're growing too many carrots? <laughs> no. Like what? What if? Right. What if you as a person that like grows groceries and supplies them to your neighbors, like you make a ton of banana bread in your kitchen and you, you get fucking carted it off for it why you wouldn't though is we do have like the cottage law set up and this is where i think is the big miss in the in the uh cannabis regulations is that there's there's no room for anyone to really be an artisan grower there's you know if we want to follow the wine model the wine model and wine taxes are tiered so that smaller people don't have to pay the same thing that kendall jackson's paying Mm mm-hmm you know, we're talking 60 plus years or more of this kind of taking shape in wine and yeah. and spirits. Um, and we are, what, year two? So maybe think, we'll yeah. see that, but... I, I think it's coming. I was just, you know, how Newsom just passed all these laws um, that had to do with the industry. So I think SB 185 was about um, Appalachians. Mm-hmm. So now if you're not grown in Humboldt or grown in Mendocino, you can't say it. It's just like how wine is, right? So you you can't like champagne or all those things, right? right? And Maybe actually, you can explain that better. The funniest part of all of this is that there's a company called Dosist and we know them because they're kind of like the apple of weed right now. Right. It's a... Uh, they are a single-use vape that kind of looks like a tampon applicator. And, and they have edibles. Mint now. Yeah, they have edibles now, too. And it's precisely dosed. They used to be called Humboldt with no vowels. It was H-M-B-L-D-T. Y'all got to stop with that shit. Yeah, and it was called Humboldt with no vowels. And then the minute that regulations came in and that happened Mm -hmm. they are now dosist yeah so i think like and that was that's a huge win because that brand was made up by an ad agency in new york Mm -hmm. who did their research fair enough but yeah at the end of the day like you can't fake the front yeah yeah yeah, totally do you drink indoor wine 
It's like, nope, nobody drinks indoor wine. No, but but you do Think drink. Think about how fucked up you could get if you had some indoor wine, though. Yeah. <laughs> Call vodka. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had some indoor wine a couple nights ago. I'm still working on that Well, I guess when you ferment it, it's indoor. I think that's really important. I think that we are going to see the pendulum swing in a few years in cannabis and people really care about exactly where their weed is from. Yeah. And they will care about terroir. I mean, I do. And, but I know that I've also been a consumer in this category for a lot longer than most. Yeah. Um, so I do care about where it's from. I do care about who grows it. Um, and I think that'll eventually catch up. Right now, we're just in this price war in the legal market, the kind of race to the bottom. Right. Midsonics. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sponsor us. So there are all of these elements sort of coming at the Emerald Triangle and, and shifting it and changing it for whatever for whatever reason. And legalization, just like everywhere else in California, is changing the culture too, right? Mm-hmm. We've been seeing a lot about weed tourism in other places, but I'd never really seen it kind of play out in California outside of, you know, like the city centers. Uh, so I hit up this guy... Chris Vardian, who is um, who's been following us on Instagram, his his company, the Mendocino Experience, followed us on Instagram a while back, and I just DM'd him and was like, "Hey, you wanna you wanna talk about this stuff?" Luckily, he's not just some rando in my DMs. He is a very intelligent dude who knows a lot about the history of Humboldt and the Emerald Triangle, and he sounds like a great tour guide. We pick up our passengers at two points. Uh, the San Francisco Ferry Building, and at the cannery at Fisherman's Wharf. And then we drive across the Golden Gate Bridge. We drive up to um, the Emerald Triangle. It takes about an hour 45 to get to our first stop in Hopland, California. That's where the meat of the tour happens. That's where the education, where we teach people about the history. It's travel from China to India to ancient Egypt to to Greece and Rome to Europe what to expect if if people are planning on trying it for the first time we find out we make sure we're going to take care of people what to expect side effects things like that then our first stop is the Solar Living Center in Hopland California that place uh, started in 1974 it was a junkyard that they converted into this beautiful stunningly beautiful bio oasis and on the property of the Solar Living Center. They've built the world's first um, solar-powered cannabis dispensary called Emerald Farms. And it's got a vibe like a spa. It's it's very well lit, a lot of art. They've got geodes of crystals. They serve yerba mate tea. I mean, you really feel like they're going to put slices of cucumbers on your eyes when you go in there. Yeah, I, well, I was all in. I'm all in. I want to go. Can we go? <laughs> well, the funny part is I've... It's like I've done. Oh, you've done it. I've done this tour like on my own, right? But, but as he unraveled what they do in my mind, I'm like, "Yep, check, check, check." This he got is- all the right spots, yeah. right? Yeah, he did. So he comes from a traditional tourism background. So he used to do the wine tours. He would do like you know tours of San Francisco and and talk about the gold rush and and kind of the history of the city and Barbary so Coast much. and all that stuff. Yeah, he's hella knowledgeable and just a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, so he comes from that background. And, and my one of my first questions to him was like, how did you get in? They're, you know, uh, very mistrustful of outsiders. Fortunately, we have friends in the industry up there. And uh, we uh, got in through our friend uh, Marty Klein, who runs Marty Wana brand. And 
my business partner Misha was out with his girlfriend on a tour in Western Petaluma and uh, somebody said, oh yeah, that guy has a, a grow as he's leaving and he's like, uh, I'll be right back. And he rushes off to meet, to meet this guy and says, hi, my name is Misha. And he said, oh, Rachel's friend Misha? And all of a sudden he realized that, that, we had the, that it was somebody that we'd already known that we just hadn't tapped into. And as soon as we met him, he connected us with uh, Kevin Shee of Emerald City Genetics and we were in because it's very tight knit. It's like a family. And so um, I think that's why nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is going up to cannabis country because I think it's a hard nut to crack. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And again, he used, he used that term guarded. Mm-hmm. And it's true because... You have people, again, that have been doing this for so long on the illicit market that when someone comes in and says, like, hi, we're going to bring a bus full of people here, the first thought isn't like, yes, bring them. The first thought is like, whoa, who are you and why do you want to do this? Well, and we've seen how those buses full of people are they. Yeah. How these buses full (laughs) of people play out in wine country. And it is not cute. I have. Mm -mm. We could do an entire podcast of stories. I could tell you from wine industry of people acting the fool (laughs) off of those buses. (laughs) I'd rather see a photo montage of them turned up and pretty sure I have on my phone we yeah. can look at later yeah Great. we have like grown ass men like doing things that are just yeah i had i worked at a winery i was a marketing director for a winery sitting in the office and one of the tasting room girls came in and said someone just took a poop on the bathroom floor hmm. wow. and these were people that were staying at a place that was 500 dollars a night that used to happen at the um, salad bar restaurant yeah. I worked at in Texas. But like, <laughs> we sold a, you know, we sold a soup bar for like one ninety nine. Yeah, so. no, it was a people in a limo where you had to go out and tell the limo driver, "Hey, can you come get these people out of here?" Y'all couldn't find the fucking toilet. Yeah, he said that the majority of the people that come on his tours come from places where it's illegal. So th- these are like people that are very curious about the industry but don't really have access to it in the places they're at. Right, so. He said that it's a lot of people from the South and then a lot of people from Asia, too, um, from Asian countries. So you get all of these noobs in there and he takes them up to a dispensary first and they they have an opportunity to smoke some weed at um, Emerald Farms, which is apparently just amazing. I've been multiple times and I can concur. Absolutely. Everybody, everybody that I've talked to about this place is like, it's the best we bookend the tour with dispensaries there's one at the beginning one at the end we go to cure wellness center which is a lovely place um very nice staff very friendly and they have a five dollar dab bar in the back um if you haven't done a dab it's like smoking three very potent joints in one hit yeah i describe it as being mule kicked by a unicorn in the third eye and having purple sparkles fly out the back of your head fingers crossed he's gonna tell me some story about like some 60 year old housewife from (laughs) dallas just (laughs) turned our fucking mind you know but he said he tells them what noobs stick to noobs that that was his that's his anyway he's super respectable and he didn't have any stories for me but you know people get too fucked up on that bus oh for sure i'm just like but chances are they're like shivering in a corner just like am i gonna die yeah they're not shitting on the floor of your bathroom right so he's the only person he says i can't verify this 100 percent, but he's the only person who has the like tourist bus license the tcp yeah right to to take people from san francisco up to mendocino and there are other people doing this but not 
specifically the way that he does it. A lot of these people were banking on their buses being the consumption lounges, right? Mm. So it's illegal to smoke outside. It's illegal to smoke in most buildings in California, right? So these buses, these tour buses, were banking on being able to have people smoke on the bus or in the limo, just the same way you would be able to get drunk on a booze cruise Mm -hmm. or a wine tour or whatever. It was like a really big moneymaker in Denver, right? Like people riding around in the limo. And it's still going in Denver. Denver's still got that going on. Here, though, during this last round of assembly bills and Senate bills that were passed and signed by our governor, Gavin Newsom, who's been very weed-friendly, uh, As part of an omnibus spending bill, somebody crammed this thing in there about weed on party buses and and in limos, and you cannot, you can no longer smoke on a party bus or in a limo. That's fucking stupid. It is stupid. Like, what, is your driver going to get contact high? But they also face a lot of the same problems that growers and dispensary owners and other ancillary businesses do uh, in that they can't find a bank to take their money and they can't advertise on social media or anywhere really online. So they can't do Google AdWords. They can't do Facebook ads or Instagram ads or any of that stuff. So all of their growth has been up up until a point completely word of mouth and organic i mean that's hard for a tourist business yeah yeah it's it's interesting because it's the opposite of wine even though they're following the wine model it's really kind of the opposite like so in wine i literally a month ago i was working with a client who had a tasting room that wasn't seeing the traffic that they wanted to and the first thing we did the like secret sauce is do an open house for limo drivers, you mm. know, because that's the way that it works in wine. You're like begging the limo companies to, you know, you're basically forming these relationships because that's where your traffic is coming from. He's like really the opposite, right? He's like begging people to let them bring this bus full of people to their farms, to their dispensaries, to their restaurants. So to me, even though it follows the wine model, it's not the same kind of success mm-hmm. for either side of it because there's also no direct-to-consumer sales right. on these farms. So the farms are basically doing this as like a solid to let people come look at. And you've, Chris, mentioned like gawk at mm-hmm. our farms and things like that. So I think it's just an interesting model to follow. But I, I do think that eventually all the, the ends will meet each other. I do think people are going to care about where their weed's from. I do think they're going to want us to follow this like terroir kind of thing. And hopefully we do DTC sales at farms and direct to consumer sales. And you can roll up at a farm, enjoy the outdoor Mm -hmm. beauty and then buy a pack of joints from them Mm -hmm. because that's what the wine industry does. Right. Which is why, I mean, you, it's really hard to draw the wine to weed comparison Mm -hmm. in so many ways. Right. Because weed for one is, is, so many different things so it can be so many different things it's not just one way of consuming it uh but then you also have all of these other intricacies of the business and and the history and all of those things that make it near impossible to have the same 
yeah same system yeah the, the regulations aren't set up to have the same system um and to again let small farmers thrive i mean the one thing that's been a boon for small wineries is that the farm to table kind of thought process moved that way people want to know where their wine is from they want to know the winemaker's story um and the tax law has been set up and the regulations have been set up so that small farmers can succeed in that way, but Mm. it's not that way in cannabis. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I expected this thing to be so much farther along. Mm -hmm. I like when I, you know, when I hit him up, I expected to hear that it's kind of a booming business, that tourism and cannabis is actually a big deal. And it may be in other places like in Denver, you hear a lot about what's going on in Denver, but like, in the Bay Area, where it all started, in this in this part, the heart of the weed industry in the United States, like he's struggling to fill a bus. He's saying that on a regular, he's operating at a loss, and he's been going for I think he said two years. We were inspired by the gold rush of 1849. The entire downtown San Francisco, the financial district, it's built on top of a graveyard of ships because captain's entire crews would abandon ship and just leave them to rot in the harbor to go get rich in the gold fields. But they didn't get rich. The people who got rich were the people who were the ancillary business. It was Sam Brannon and his mining tools. It was Levi Strauss and his mining pants. And I was looking at friends I knew in the cannabis industry struggling. You know, growers, they're going through all this red tape. They're spending all this money on fees and taxes and more fees and people to help guide them through the bureaucracy. And meanwhile, they're getting squeezed on the other side because their prices are dropping. And I'm looking at that and I'm I'm seeing the gold miners. And I said, you know, I'd rather be Levi Strauss. His thought process was, well, we're in a green rush, much like the gold rush. I, as an ancillary business, will be the one making money regardless of whether or not these companies are making money. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case. But the ancillary businesses that are making money and have always made money are lawyers, lawyers, but also like up in the Emerald Triangle, it's people that it's it's. Uh, nurseries it's people that you know cultivate soil it's people that build greenhouses solar panel salesmen exactly you know there's a quite a few people that i know who used to do more illicit uh work up there and they've transitioned into these ancillary businesses of building hoop houses of you know uh being consultants for people so that they can get all their stuff aligned for fish and game you know working in these ancillary businesses to go legit rather than be uh, in the illicit market. So uh, it totally makes sense to me, um, that model, but unfortunately it's not in the tourism, you know, it's not in that case. Not currently, right? And somebody's gotta do it first for it to become right. an industry and he's he's doing that hard work with his partner. And, and I, for one, would definitely get fucked up on a dab and crawl back onto his little bus <laughs> and listen to his, his weed soundtrack. <laughs> Maybe I'll take my parents the next time they're in town. <laughs> I would but love uh, to see the Karia's dab. Uh, they're not going to But what dab. I want to see, I think what I want to see, because it would probably get me a lot of work too, but what I want to see <laughs> Not is, selfish at all. Yeah, but what I, I do want to see is this, this I, the wine model. I want to I be able to go to Mike's Grow, have Mike walk us around, tell us all about his Viper cookies that he's growing, and then be able to try it, consume it, and then sign up for like his weed club so that mm-hmm. once a month I'm delivered an eight to my front door just like the wine model and maybe have a charcuterie platter 
please yes and maybe yeah shones yeah pickles and maybe <laughs> maybe there'll be an acoustic pickles. guitar player in the corner playing you know covers of whatever but god i hope not let's leave that in napa Wrecked is a podcast of The Grass Agency. I'm Christopher Trout. My co-hosts are Rena Caria and Brandy Moody. We're produced and edited by Kyle Mock, and our theme music is by Regender. Follow us at The Grass Agency on Instagram and Twitter. We'll see you next week. <laughs>